Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Dr. Kino's Bill Emporium. My name is Toby Williams and I'm the proud owner of said Emporium. Uh, this week we have a, a bit of a special guest. Uh, he is the star of stage, of screen, of television, of film, of audiobook and of the comedy circuit. Uh, all the way from Manchester, I'm expecting Toby Haydock. Oh, there's, uh, there's no, nothing in the alleyway I can see at the moment. Wait, wait, what's this? Oh no, there's a there's a there's a strip Toby has in front of him. This is the most odd. Oh, ah, and here's Toby. He's he's coming in now. Hey, <laughs> Toby Haydock, welcome to the Emporium. Well, what an entrance, eh? <laughs> so you came in, in your you came in here in your TARDIS, which we'll talk about later, because uh, there's a definite connection there, isn't there? Uh, just a little bit, yes, uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, my, yes, my 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 liking of Doctor Who is not a is not a secret pleasure. No, no. We'll go into uh, how you're going to becoming such a Whovian, which I believe is the technically correct term. Well, I, I think for some it's a pejorative term. I don't ah. really, I don't really care. I'm not. I, 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 I'll, I'll take whatever you throw at me, so long as people with language. I think so long as people know what you mean, uh, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> So, Toby, you have an interesting film under your arm. It's a bit of a classic, isn't it? So tell us a little bit about that before we get into, uh, into your well, background in film. Well, uh, yeah, OK. Well, I'd, it's almost worth introducing it by saying what I could have chosen, which was a great number of sort of sci-fi, uh, Doctor Who-related or Quatermass-related or, or, or John Carpenter-type stuff, which was the sort of stuff that sort of dominated my childhood. But standing out amongst this, and because when you approached me, you said it's got to be something that's underappreciated... It's a film I'm, I, I think is extremely high quality and is not known enough. And I think people who like their movies who've not discovered it will go will be intrigued. And people who do know it, I think it's the sort of film when you hear somebody else like it, you'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel good because somebody else has identified my film. And it's a Sidney Lumet film from 1965 called The Hill, uh -huh. which stars Sean Connery. And perhaps it popped into my mind because... Connery, uh, as we record this, uh, departed this realm a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, but it's it's it, yeah. but it, but it's always been it's always been in my sort of. T t I, it was one I, I taped it off the telly when one did such things back in the day uh, <laughs> on on VHS, and it was a it was a much poured over VHS. I don't actually have because uh, uh, we're in an imaginary realm. I don't actually even have it on DVD because it's not currently available on DVD. So I look forward to the day when it is. Uh, but I do still have my, my dusty VHS. I just haven't played it on. Yeah. You probably can't get it on Netflix, which I think is a great shame. But, you know, that's the world we live in, unfortunately. Well, and it's stark, blinky, uh, 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 um, inky black and white, which uh, oh, more indeed. and more seeing black and white things is... Uh, I wonder if it might turn up on talking pictures one day. Who knows? I hope so. But no, it should be shouting pictures. It'll have to be talking pictures after hours because it's, it's got lots of yelling in it. Yeah, this is a, a basic, very quick summary. It's basically a prison um, film, but it's set in the Libyan desert, isn't it, during World War Two? So it's a military prison. Yeah, it's it's lots of men sh shouting at each other. <laughs> it's lots of and, and I, you know, I've never been a particular. I was always sort of, you know, I've always been very geeky and not very robust. But I, I, I do find films that um, examine sort of masculinity and. Mm. Uh, 
uh, and flawed masculinity and the, and and the sort of politics of of male physicality, which mm-hmm. you know come to the fore in a sort of survival of the fittest. And, and then there's the the bullying. And I th- and I, I I went to a boarding school for a bit because my 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 dad left and my my mum couldn't sort of hang on to me, and and I was a bit of a fish out of water there. And, mm-hmm. and the sort of unfairness within those systems is, I think, a very British thing about hierarchies and Absolutely. officer class and all of that, and the, yeah. and the fact that power is wheeled did not necessarily fairly and that's a mm. that's a big theme in 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 the hill yeah uh, that sounds um intriguing and we'll definitely get into that a bit later but first so toby you grew up in shropshire and you and i have a bit of a connection don't we mm. yes Lud- I, I grew up in ludlow in shropshire as as you know but the listener may not i i, 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 I outside actually i was i was born in the countryside in the Lenoa brought up it, it, it you know the nearest house was a quarter of a mile away the nearest pub was a three mile walk away um uh, so i and, and i have brothers and sisters who were very much sort of outdoorsy people which i absolutely wasn't so no, i stayed I can, in I can and safely watched. say you're not that outdoorsy <laughs> <laughs> no. so you know the the tv was my friend i mean indeed I, I, and a lot of it small screen stuff but i i i had a, a mate called john bruford who was a who was a, a great film buff who introduced me to a lot of films although well we'll talk about the, the hill later and how i was introduced to that but you know i did a lot of watching the screen rather than rolling around in mud um uh, and you know building bivouacs and doing all of that yeah, business that's that, kind uh, of that's really sort of what you have to do for your own fun in shropshire isn't it is basically roll around in mud and build bivouacs there's not you, a lot yeah lot you, going on around there you do that or watch films yeah <laughs> yes it's like there's not much choice in between um so basically ludlow college which was where we both went to i was a little bit ahead of you but um, mm. a fabulous place um i have very fond memories of my time at ludlow and it's um i mean you did drama and and you know you got you got a bit of a taste for the acting bug didn't you yeah yeah i was uh, i i mean i always you know in the, being brought up in the middle of nowhere and that that screen transported me to different worlds especially through through doctor who which i became very obsessed by partially because it was a show with a history and again kicking around in the middle of nowhere there's there was plenty to discover so mm-hmm. I, en- I enjoyed finding out as much about what wasn't on the screen as as what was so you know my enjoyment of of, of anything has, has not just been about the experience of, of watching the thing but you know i'm the first you know whenever i watch anything on the telly now i've you know i've got the phone with imd db in one hand so i yeah. could go where do i know them from or whatever ah, uh so that's you know that's always been search, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah oh definitely i i can spot a i can spot a 1960s character actor at 20 paces Excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, useful skill to have yes uh, well, do you know what before the invention of imdb it was people would phone me up and go, that bloke who was in Casualty tonight, who is that? And I go, oh, that was Ralph Watson. He was in The Monster of Paradise. Like, of course he was. Yes. But um, now people, you know, I'm not like the, 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 the sort of geeky equivalent of the speaking clock anymore no. who, who phone up to get a piece of information. Do you feel um, like you've had a bit of your um, work taken away from you because of the internet? <laughs> well, it, I mean, it wasn't paid. It wasn't paid work. So no, I still, which is more I, <laughs> I still do get people on facebook sort of will send me a thing say toby what do i know them from and i sort of do go you could just type that into google yeah (laughs) it's not it's not like forbidden or special knowledge you know i think i sometimes think people are a bit lonely and they they just want to say hello um (laughs) uh but 
but you know, it's a, uh, it was good mental exercise. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I could, I can tell you the name of every single actor that's ever been in in Doctor Who. Well, certainly Doctor Who, nineteen sixty three to eighty nine. Um, the classic years. Yes. Yeah. So, that, and that's the, you know, my brain is wired that way. I, I am on that spectrum. Uh, I mean, everyone's on that spectrum, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm positioned bit, in a particular place. A little bit shall further we along say. that spectrum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Very true. Uh, so lovely, and, and uh, with the with the sixth form, you you got you did drama and English, was it? Or yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, the, yeah, theatre studies, English, and the sociology is the third one. I ah. think because my my brother had done it and was very lazy and did okay. It's actually mm. a very interesting subject. And but my my tutor was very long suffering. He knew it was very much third choice, and he didn't really give me a hard time about it. So long as I wasn't an idiot, you know. So long as I didn't uh, misbehave and uh, he knew where my heart my heart lay in the wings. Uh, yes. And I did. And uh, yeah, it was. Act- Acting was always, I, I never, I don't think particularly had ambitions to do comedy, but I did sketches and stuff because I liked watching Whose Line Is It Anyway? I liked mm. the idea of improvising and stuff like that. But certainly I liked having an outlet and I liked imagination and I liked the whole camaraderie of, of you know, hanging around and making stuff. And so it was at Ludlow College definitely that I, uh, you know, I was putting on shows and putting on nights and, and always sort of doing doing something and creating my own opportunities, which I seem to have spent my career, you know, my life doing. I sometimes wish some some other sodder just knock on my door and go, "We've done it all the hard work. You can just you could just be in it. That would yeah. be nice." But would be um, nice. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I've always generated my own stuff. Yeah, which gives you like a fair amount of control over it as well, doesn't it? Which you know is quite uh, gratifying, I think. For... Well, I I suppose so. I suppose the grass is always uh, always greener. Um, and and perhaps I don't know how to be able, but I I have to say I do you know I've I, I've I've you know I've got mates who just you know seem to go from job to job, <laughs> and I just go uh, yeah I'd like I'd like I'd, li- I'd like to not be responsible for the script and the schedule and the I mean I'm doing a, I've just started doing some podcasts at the moment where I do it all, but that may be therefore a sign that um, I would get a bit angsty if I left it to. To, to everybody else that's not quite true because i have done i have done plays where i've just been the writer or i've just been in it uh and uh i've i've been quite happy to step away if i've trusted the and with my all my radio work I've, I've i've had a great relationship with a director called charlotte riches and and she pretty much you know she nails that side and so i've just been able to go well you know i can step away from that bit and just concentrate on on the one or two bits that i'm doing and that's really nice mm, for sure so you took this a bit further, didn't you? Because you didn't just do it at A-level. You went on to Manchester and you're still there now. You're based up there. And you did English and drama at Manchester Uni. Yeah, I'd, uh, I I always had the English because I think I was... Uh, I, I think my mum wanted me not just to be practical, you know. The, I mean, gosh, we forget when I wanted to you know go into acting you know 30 years ago you know that you had to have an equity card and if you couldn't mm, get an equity mm. card you know that you wouldn't have a career and uh, i had no idea how one would get an equity card i mean you don't even need one now i've got one because i'm a union man but um but it, it seemed so far away from shropshire you know the world of acting uh and but i i went to manchester and it got a great history of sort of comedians and comedy and uh and uh, and uh, but again i put on my own stuff mm-hmm. um uh, uh and and kept producing stuff um i think you know and did a lot of shakespeare that was you know that was you know my my big love uh uh but also 
somebody put on a comedy night and said, um, do you want to have a go? And I went, well, why not? And I did a comedy gig with no expectation and uh, gradually, with sort of no ambition in that direction, I did a bit more and I did a bit more and suddenly I, I was earning a living uh, doing stand-up, which was a surprise to me. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, juggling other things as well but I'd, I'd started doing stand-up when i was at university um and you know people threw me a few quid which was which always, was very nice always nice yeah it's usually yeah. a good sign if they're paying if they're paying you yeah well i always think that i think you know sometimes you look around and go have i you know it's my career and then i think well hang on i've i've earned a living as a comedian for 25 years so mm -hmm. maybe it's maybe maybe i should stop feeling like i'm an imposter but <laughs> uh, yes. i'm not sure i ever do imposter syndrome no it's yeah. such a common thing yeah same with academics as well it's like oh i don't really feel like i'm an expert at all uh, but you know anyway that's um yeah so the in terms of manchester you got some you got going with the with the comedy nights and you still kept up the the doctor who um, sort of passion, obsession, whatever you want to call it. So, and this got you into into writing obituaries, didn't it? Because I, mean, I actually remember seeing, um, bless him, Anthony Ainsley, who I think, for my money, and you can disagree with me or not, I think played one of the scariest masters on. Doctor oh, he was. Ever. Yeah, he was. The, he, he was, was the. Brilliant. He was the master of my youth. I, again, the obituaries. Uh, I, I sort of again. I sort of see that as a hobby. Um, but I uh, write them for The Guardian, which is, you know, quite a, it's a good newspaper. Everyone has um, to have a hobby. <laughs> uh, uh, but what, what happened there was um, I'm also very into Quatermass. And when I was a kid uh, in Shropshire in the middle of nowhere, I wrote to the still surviving actors and special mm. effects people who did who did the Quatermass TV serials. And one of those was a visual effects designer called Bernard Wilkie, who essentially, with his friend Jack Kine, founded the only visual effects television visual effects department in England at the time, which was the BBC visual effects department, which was two guys who liked blowing things up. Uh, uh, and and Jack and Bernard were really kind to me. I wrote them, you know, letters as a, as a naive 16 year old, and they both treated me very kindly and, and, and gave me loads of time and loads of information. And Bernard had written books on the industry and really knew his stuff. And when he died, um, he didn't get an obituary in, in the Guardian, so I thought, well, I'll just ring, I'll just ring them up, and I mm -hmm. said, uh, are you planning on doing an obituary on Bernard Wilkie? And they went, well, we don't know who that is, so I explained yeah. who he was, and they said, oh no, he sounds like somebody we should do. Um, when can you have it to us? And I went, uh, oh, like, oh, okay. Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did that, and then I did a couple more. Then I did Anthony Ainley. Actually, I think he was the next one that I did. Uh, I really overwrote that, and they they edited it down. And I, I was moving house. So I remember I wrote it in an internet cafe underneath a Sainsbury's. Um, that's what you had to do in those details. days. <laughs> yeah, that's the small details. Uh, and and then gradually, as time went on, they would start to come to me and say, "Will you do this person? Uh, Will you do that person?" And it's still now a mixture. I still sometimes have to pitch people but i see that as my duty to somebody who might get overlooked who i think mm, the public mm. would go oh no i know who that is but you know the guardian obituary says it has to be across all you know engineering science jog you know all, all yeah. so so you know it's, actors, I, yeah. I have to i have to sort of pitch and and uh, and make sure I, I mind my own shop as it were mm. um so but i yeah i started doing that was i a student when i was doing no i think i just left um, university when I was doing that, but it was it was uh, you know uh, amongst the sort of mosaic of things that I was doing to keep myself occupied. And again, it was I think having no ambition in a particular area means you can suddenly find yourself doing it because you don't put any of the barriers in yourself. I think sometimes when it's something that you really want to do, 
Mm. You can trip yourself up, whereas I yes. enjoy doing comedy. I enjoyed doing obituaries, but because the world wasn't going to end if I didn't do them, uh, they, they sort of, uh, I think, I naturally sort of uh, flourished in a way I might not have done had it been, they been the absolutely only things I ever wanted to do. Mm. Um, mm. So get out of your own way, type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, and and so I've kept doing that, and, and 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 I think it's an important job to do. I think it's it's nice for me to 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 give a nod to those people that um, took me out of my shell and took me out of my little Shropshire cave when I was, you know, in the middle of nowhere and didn't have any any sort of form of expression. Bah, yeah, you know, these programs that I watched and loved. So, uh, the with the two thousand and six, you did um, Moth Saint My Doctor Who scarf, which got got you some proper attention as well, didn't it? I believe it was. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, I was. I, I'd been a comedian. I'd, I'd started. A, I'd been a comedian, and I'd started a comedy night again by mistake. Uh, my my somebody I knew knew a landlord who was after a comedian to run a comedy night. I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a bash. Somehow it all went right, and before I knew it, it was it was this sort of little underground but highly respected gig that won a few awards and, and people liked playing at. And again, I was largely, I think, because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I thought it would be good practice for me. And before I knew it, that had been running, you know, five or six years and was, was doing well. Uh, and I kept up the Doctor Who thing. I've been a massive fan of Doctor Who, but I'd never, I'd never talked about it on stage. It had always been a bit of a private passion, and uh, 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 and I didn't know any Doctor Who fans either, apart from this one mate of mine. Uh, and 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 a few comics I knew had gone up to Edinburgh and had done very well. Alan Carr and Jason Manford, oh, okay, and I'd watched yep. them from afar. It was it was the early days of the internet where you could how people were doing because you'd go on the comedy websites mm -hmm. and you, you know there'd be reviews coming in and and i suddenly thought and having had no ambition to go to edinburgh i thought maybe i should. and i got talking to my friend and and he said you know well well do what you know and what do you know he said you know doctor who um yeah. uh, and so i and so i and, and because i'd got a club where i messed about and, and because doctor who had come back on the telly and because i was comparing every week i sort of talked about what happened to me in the week because it's the only way you can do it if you're a regular compare mm -hmm. because you can't sit down and write new material you have to riff on what's been going on so mm -hmm. i started talking about doctor who anyway and people had bought into it and people had found it quite funny that, that and you can't fake that sort of passion mm -hmm. and um and i realized that okay i can talk about doctor who on stage so i wrote this show and, and through a process of elimination the best way to do it was to do this sort of autobiographical show about what doctor who meant to me as a kid and it was funny but it was it was enthusiastic um mm -hmm. and it was about my relationship with my dad who left when i was four so i didn't really have one doctor who mm -hmm. filled the gap and then when doctor who went away there was a there was a hole because it was cancelled there was a big hole in my life that made me angry mm -hmm. and resentful and then i had my own kids and doctor who came back and that was a way for me to forge a relationship with my own kids so it had a sort of lovely story to it even yeah. though it was a yeah. it was a stand-up show joke 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 uh, and and it was really good timing doctor who had come back it was suddenly really popular yeah it was the first year of david tennant so it had the year of christopher eccleston where it had done pretty well but then mm -hmm. it hit the apex of its popularity mm -hmm. and around the time that i was doing that show nice. uh, my friend gave me good advice and said take out all the jokes that are just about doctor who and and just keep in the ones that are about you and your dad and your family and and the Doctor Who jokes that tie into that. So it's not about Doctor ah. Who. It's actually about and it was so it was a bit like sort of fever pitch in in that sense. Yeah. The, the yeah. music was a part of it, but the love story is the the more yeah, important sure. thing. The backbone. Yeah. So I, so I took out any jokes that only Doctor Who fans would understand. I mm -hmm. wrote jokes that you could understand if you'd never seen an episode of Doctor Who. 
so people were pleasantly surprised by it because I think they were expecting a geek fest and they got something mm -hmm. a bit more human. Uh, so that the confluence of those things meant that I had a really good Edinburgh on my first visit in 2006. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that then spun off into a radio series, a tour. I toured that show for three or four years. I went all around the world with it. Uh, and I went from being a sort of jobbing comic to to a professional anorak. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and and uh, and and it, it was you know having having spent the first few years of my career going well, I can't possibly talk about Doctor on stage. People will think I'm an idiot. Suddenly realizing no, that's what makes that's what separates you from everybody else. Absolutely, Toby. What's I mean? I've noticed this over the time because I used to play D and D Dungeons and Dragons um, when I was a teenager. I sort of stopped by the time I got to Ludlow. Um, but I'm actually going back into it, which is really strange. I think the, you're close to get to middle age, and both of us are in kind of early middle age. And yeah. You kind of go back to the things that you were passionate about when you were younger. Um, but when did you think, because the Big Bang Theory, um, which I, by the way, I love, it's just a fantastic kind of come down telly after work. You know, you don't have to think too much. But is, is, do you think it's a sudden thing that geeks and nerds and all the sort of anoraks are actually a bit cool now? It 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 did happen. It certainly wasn't the case when I was at university no, and, and things then, like again, that. Again, when we were at sixth form, and it was yeah, like you did actually get picked on, bullied, beaten up if you looked different and were nerdy yeah. and uncool, which you know, yeah. And and certain certainly, you know, it wasn't girls did girls weren't impressed either, and it, no. and, and that was actually fueled a lot of my my show. That not only did I love this thing, but let's not forget when when for most of my life, um, up until. You know, having, having discovered Doctor Who as a kid when everyone watched Doctor Who and loved it, um, it, it, it suddenly became unjustifiably, which fueled my fury, this sort of national joke, a byword mm. for naff telly. Sure. So it wasn't just that Doctor Who wasn't on anymore. It was that Doctor Who wasn't on and it was written up as though it lasted 25 years initially, 26 years, by some sort of mistake rather mm. than that it was mm. actually really good. So that, mm. that used to piss me off. Yeah. Um, and I, mean... wanted to write, I wanted to write that wrong. But then when it came back... And, and, you know, there's a real expectation it might be an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. Russell T. Davis is and was an absolute genius. He pitched mm -hmm. it absolutely right. He knew exactly what to do with the show. The stories he wrote were great. The productions that he, you know, his, his show running was absolutely fantastic. His casting was spot on. And because he'd pitched it to a family audience, it meant that a vast demographic of people, not just men of a particular age or young boys liked it, girls liked it, uh, it you know, it appealed It appealed across all sorts of different demographics. And yes, suddenly became cool. And, you know, suddenly people who three years ago would have sneered at my DVD collection were suddenly sidling up to me in the playground. Uh, I, th I thought last night's episode was really good, you know, uh, didn't you? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, classic, <laughs> classic question for a, for a Whovian like yourself, um, and you've probably got the answer ready on your W Dung, is who is your favourite Doctor Who? Uh, I, I always say two, um, uh, Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor, and Ooh. Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor. Tom Baker was my Doctor growing up, but I remember yes, discovering Troughton. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as an actor, actors, all actors like Patrick Troughton because it's such a seamless and such an original performance. You don't know how he got there, and yet it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a very vivid and odd, uh, strange mixture of sort of childlike incredulity and and deep, um, 
gravitas and mm. uh, long-lived intelligence and it's a really it's a really scintillating mix and it's terribly terribly funny but he's also very very good at the serious and i think mm. i think troughton's an amazing actor who never gives a a daft turn tom baker i think is doctor who mm. um, oh, for sure. but for, yep. for the sheer length yep. of time he went on he does in his sort of middle period he does get a little bit self-indulgent which just loses him a couple of points when he gets a bit carried away sometimes <laughs> but uh, but he's he's a brilliant serious actor and and and, and he's got he's got that that uh, magical quality that um, you you couldn't reproduce Tom Baker if you no. couldn't make Tom Baker in a lab if you tried no, absolutely and I'm sure someone's tried somewhere possibly yeah <laughs> um, the um, I mean for my money so I actually quite enjoyed Peter Davison um, in the sort of early eighties I did I, like, I love I, Davison now I you know, I hated I it some great episodes some great writing um, uh, I think around then but yeah it's I don't want to sort of get into things too much, but and I wouldn't ask you to name your your sort of worst doctor because I think that's unfair. But um, are you moving on slightly? Is there um, are there any sort of surprising fans of Doctor Who that have come up to you and said, actually, I'm a bit of a secret Whovian too? Well, um, I mean, loads of people um, came out of the woodwork when uh, when. Uh, when when you know when Doctor Who came back, I'd just like to say with Davison, by the way, I I hated him at the time because he wasn't Tom Baker. And one yeah. of the joys of being a Doctor <laughs> Who fan is you can go back and revisit it. And I realised how utterly wrong I was. And Davison, I think, would would come uh, you know next after Troughton and Baker for me. I mm -hmm. think he's a really good actor and a very good Doctor. Um, yeah, did uh, well. I don't know. There are some people that follow me on Twitter who I can't think follow me for my comedy, mm. um, and I think must follow me because. I, Barbara Dixon retweets me a lot. Really? And I can't okay. think that Barbara Dixon follows me for any other reason than that she's a secret Doctor Who she's fan. She's <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But I've, I've never, I've never asked out, her. Barbara. <laughs> Come clean, enough, when, yeah. I, when, when I was touring my show, it used to tickle me because I'd, I'd go and do these art centres and places and, and her, you know, posters for her show would be on sort of before or after. I'd think, oh, it's Barbara Dixon. She's, she'd maybe be doing the slightly bigger stage than me and I'd be doing the studio theatre or whatever. But it, I enjoyed the fact that I was playing these venues that had posters from the people that were on the telly when I was a kid. And mm. um, Brian Johnson, the cricketer, the cricket commentator, he'd be doing his one-man show and things like that. And I, I sort of, it made me feel proper. But I always remember being quite tickled that uh, Barbara Dixon seemed to be doing a lot of the place that I was. And then suddenly she was sort of retweeting me and propping up on Twitter. So I'm absolutely... <laughs> thrilled but i've never had i've never had the courage to ask her because i don't want her to suddenly go oh god i thought you were somebody else yeah. barbara <laughs> if you are listening to dr kino's film emporium do do get in touch and let us know you know the yeah. world is waiting, waiting <laughs> who's your favorite doctor yeah <laughs> yeah who's your favorite doctor barbara <laughs> so let's uh let's move on to the um to the hill so this mm. is like a slight slight wrenching um change of subject from from doctor to sean connery um although he would have been an amazing doctor who but alas we'll we'll never know um so we're going to be, this is 1965 and it's Sidney Lumet. Yeah. This is, he's sort of like, is this early in his career or middling or what's, you know. Well, as, as well, he so. see, one of the reasons I like it, because it reminds me of a, of an earlier film from Lumet, which is uh, late 50s, uh, which is 12 Angry Men, mm, um, which has yep, similar yep. sort of testosterone fueled fury and stark black and white with close up of close ups of ugly actors. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and uh, we we didn't even have a video. We didn't have an awful lot of money when we were growing up. But we we rented a video machine for for a few months. And my my brother would my elder brother would get would get movies out. And I remember and and the video was my my telly overlooked my my sorry my. 
uh, bedroom overlooked the TV room because it was a sort of balcony type affair. So I used to have to try to go to sleep while everybody else was watching the telly down below. <laughs> and I remember my brother uh, had 12 Angry Men and I saw this final scene where Lee J. Cobb does this mm-hmm. big speech and breaks down. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, boy, that's real gutsy acting. That's not the mm-hmm. sort of acting we see on a on sort of Juliet Bravo or whatever. It's in stark close-up. There's something about the cinema that's less sort of muddy than, than studio-bound videotape TV drama. You get different levels. You can get a sort of really intense close-up performance. And I remember thinking, wow, this is proper grown-up cinema. And I, I didn't quite know what it was that I was watching, but that, that particular moment at the end of that film made a real impact on me. And then mm. my brother, who must have been in I, now I don't know how close these things were together but they, I think they must have been quite close because we didn't have a video for long um, got this film called The Hill which looks very similar and turned out to be directed by the same guy um, uh, uh, and uh, it's so so it's 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 I mean early enough in his career and that he had such a long career but uh, but you know he was an established and gifted uh, uh, an experienced filmmaker by the time that he was doing it and I think Connery was um was you know wanting to do something that uh, that mm. was an, a, 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 an alternative to, to to Bond and Lumet yeah. had a good enough uh, reputation uh, to you know to be a d- director to do stuff with and they they later did the offence together which is another fantastic yes. Yes. sweaty film it's, it's yeah yeah and it's sort of interview wasn't it yeah that was that yeah was and it's another. sort of related. Yeah. Because it's got Ian Bannon in it, in it mm, as well, mm. and Ian Bannon is also in the in the hill as the sympathetic sergeant. Um, there's, there's so a great, there's a great cast in this, isn't there? There's some. There's Ian Hendry, it's a terrific um, cast. There's uh, Roy Kinnear of all people. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a whole. There's some really good. There's some it's, great British character actors from the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant cast, and you need that because it's basically it's the same dynamic really as as Twelve Angry Men. It's lots of very forceful personalities um, with lots of deep seated problems um, uh, in a in an enclosed environment. You know, in Twelve Angry Men, they're all in a juror's room, and the windows are all shut, and it's a hot day outside, and they're all a bit sweaty, and it's you know, and the and the tension boils, and 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 all, all these men's histories come to bear on the very intense situation they find themselves in. Now, the incarceration is even more stark in the hill because Connery uh, and Jack Watson, great big bluff Yorkshireman, uh, Roy Kinnear, the sort of the fat whiny one who tries to ingratiate himself <laughs> upon people. Ozzie Davis giving a brilliant performance as as the black prisoner who therefore mm-hmm. has to deal with a load of racism. And mm. and and his reaction to that manifests itself in an extraordinary way. And it's a it's a tour de force from him. Um mm. Uh, he, he, uh, he the was pri- also, um, sorry to interrupt, Tapes, the, um, Oz, I have to say about Ozzy Davis, he's an, an amazing filmmaker in his own right, isn't he, in the States? Yeah, 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 and, and, and it's the sort of American import in it, because it's, mm, mm. it's otherwise it's a, it's a British cast. Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the first scene, it's um, two prisoners are leaving, and it's Tony Caunter, who's Roy Evans from EastEnders, and Howard Gourney, who was in Into the Labyrinth and was a very recognisable character. Actually, you think if those two guys are at the very beginning and going out, you know that this is populated from top to bottom with, you know... I know the face, but kind of actors and oh, and Alfred Lynch, who'd done a, another movie with um, a Connery, a, a, a comedy caper at about the time which James escapes me right now. Um, Alfred Lynch is the sort of bullied, um, weedy um, person who shouldn't be serving in the army. 
mm-hmm. and is particularly picked on by you've got two sergeants you've got the friendly one played by Ian Bannon and you've got the sadistic one played by mm-hmm. Ian Hendry and yeah. they are presided over by the mighty mug the huge jawline the dome bald head that just <laughs> is shot so fantastically by Lumet of Harry Andrews who is absolutely extraordinary as the man who's in command he's i mean he's not really because there's a commandant played by um uh, uh norman bird who's another sort of brilliant british character actor of a more sort of genial type but he's only the 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 the, the power in name you know mm-hmm. as as harry andrews keeps saying i run this place this yeah. is my place and mm-hmm. he's the sort of genial he's genial until he needs there's a brilliant scene where everybody's rebelling because of the way that Hendry is treating everybody uh, and everybody rebels a bit and, and Harry Andrews goes in to quell the prison riot and he goes now come on lads you know we're going to make sure this is all good we'll give you we'll, you know we'll we'll sort this out everything's going to be fine and then we're going to round up the ringleaders you know if this carries on we're going to round up the ringleaders and somebody shouts out who are the ringleaders? And there's a massive close-up, and Harry Andrews just goes, "Every third man," <laughs> and it's just, and you just go, and it's just, he's basically going, you know, I can do what I want. So if you think you're going to play me like this, mm-hmm. I, I will literally pick. Uh, you know, one in every three men will be guilty and will be punished even more. And the punishment, by the way, which we haven't mentioned, is that in the exercise yard of this prison camp, in the middle of the desert that they are in, is a massive hill of sand. And the punishment is to walk, well, is to run with heavy backpack up and down it. And Ian Hendry, the sadistic sergeant, um, punishes people and particularly picks on poor old weak Alfred Lynch, uh, which is what gets him in the sights of Sean Connery mm-hmm. uh, and makes them run up and down it, up and down it to no end, but just for punishment. Pointless, uh, pointless, pointless punishment. Just yeah. to prove it, no, just to say, I've got the power to do yeah. this to you and there's nothing you can do about it. And yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. basically, and he's a horrible I mean, little sadist. It's not so much sort of um, the Sergeant Williams versus Connery, though, is it? There's a, there's a lot more subtlety to this from, from what I'm picking up. Oh, absolutely. There's, 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 there's not like black and white. This is actually much more shades of grey. Much more shades of grey, and it's not. Yes, I mean the the yes. There's that central butting between between Ian Hendry and uh, and and Connery. But you've got Ian Bannon is brilliant as the much more sympathetic one who doesn't. But he, you get there's the suggestion that actually he's a bit of a drinker, and when push comes to shove, he 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 won't have the guts to mm. do what is required. But then you've got. It's it's brilliantly political. Then you've got Connery's cellmates, Kinnear, who doesn't want any trouble. Jack Watson, who sort of has a streak of principle about him, but even though he's big and a, a bit of a hard man, he hasn't quite got the guts to do what is right. You've got Ozzie Davis, who looks like he will be a, a, a great support to Connery, but he, he eventually snaps because of the amount of racist crap that he has to mm-hmm. put up with, and he becomes the sort of... The, uh, the the stereotype of the ignorant savage that they sort of address him as, and so he he, he, he sort of snaps and and does sort of um, these grotesque sort of dances and 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 becomes the and and yeah becomes the savage that they say he is, um, and so he suddenly becomes no use to Connery at a, at a at a really vital time. So, but but it's but it's how it's whether Connery can rely on his cellmates because you can't you can't rise up against power 
mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have the backing of the people, if you yeah. like. Yes, um, and and so even though you know, and him and Watson, Jack Watson, don't get on, but Jack Watson sort of knows what's 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 right and what's wrong. But it's whether he will, in the end, you know, do the do the right thing, and whether Ian Bannon will have the guts to go over uh, the head of um, Harry Andrews. Who's you know who's put all his support into Ian Hendry? Oh, and then you've got a cameo from Michael Redgrave as the medical officer, who's the person that right. should be looking after the men, but uh, he's a drinker and he's uh, a weak, reedy-voiced man uh, who should be the sort of the official stop to say these prisoners are being treated really badly, but he hasn't got he hasn't got the guts and mm-hmm. he hasn't got the inclination to do it. So mm-hmm. Connery has to do something um uh and and it's whether that you know the 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 sort of the end point to the, the, of the of the film that they head for is is whether he that those guys he can rely on those guys to get him over the the final hurdle and to mm. go to an authority above harry andrews and and ian hendry so this sounds i mean this sounds like it's oozing masculinity oozing like, masculinity connery is no, great there's no uh, there's no women in this film is there um, no women at all no, no it's all no. it's all guys. sorry it's everybody guys guys sort of yeah okay. but it's 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 a, it's but it's about flawed masculinity you mm. know it's a it's mm. about and in fact the ending which i'm not going to give away um it, you know ex- exposes those flaws and it's gut-wrenching and you know it's very clever that it's and it's and it's full of Lumet's a great director of actors and he and he gives and he gives each characters each character little moments that speak volumes that Uh just seem like little moments he's so good at that and these stark close-ups that he does of everybody Mm -hmm. um but there's a brilliant bit where uh and this isn't giving anything away uh, because it's a silence where where Hendry Ian Hendry uh, who's been sending everybody up and down the hill uh, and he sends Alfred Lynch up and down it with a gas mask on Ooh, I mean, it's and, and you and you see that from the POV of Alfred Lynch as well, mm. uh, running up and down and yeah, up and down in this gas and, mask yeah. in this heat, and and you know they're all sweaty. There's a brilliant scene where Harry Andrews just takes off his sweaty shirt and puts on a clean starched one, you know, and then goes out to see all the prisoners who are in the same old crap that they have to wear all the time, you know, uh, but often stripped to the waist. But it's just a, a sign that you know to keep himself clean and to keep himself the pressed officer type, you know, he's literally taking taking a shirt off and putting on a new one and it's all and you can see it all starched and hard and he has to sort of force his way into it which is just brilliant little touches like that but Hendry has a go at the hill one night when everybody's in bed you know you see he's going well you know because it actually doesn't initially you think well it's just walking up and down a hill uh-huh. And it's only when you see them doing it and a sand bogs them down and, yes. that you, and Hendry manages to go up one side back down the other and then back up and he can't do it uh-huh. and he can't do it and yet he's been making men do this over and over and over again. Yeah, it's brilliant. brilliant. Um, Toby, I think just from your passion and, you know, this clearly, this I think it's got a great pedigree, this film. So I think, yes, it's going to go into the Emporium. You'd be pleased to know. So, yes. Oh, I'm very thing. pleased. Yes. They, so that's the oh, film. good. It's 1965 by Sidney Lumet. And it's got uh, Sean Connery, Ian Bannon, um, Alfred Lynch, uh, Ian Hendry, and a number of other fantastic character actors in there. So... Harry, Harry Andrews is so good in it. Oh, yeah. 
And Roy Kinnear, who uh, I think a lot of us grew up with as a sort of comedy turn. Absolutely. And he is quite funny in it. He's an an obsequious survivor, but he's still, he's really, really good. And there's a bit that he does where he's forced to do some, I think, some climbing over some rocks or, 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 no, swinging over a rope over some rocks. And he can't do it. And he just lies on the floor and he goes, I'm fat. I'm fat. (laughs) And it's just. And he is. Roy Kinnear is fat. And he is. And it's, it's brilliant. It's so good that he is not equipped to survive in that that world unless he sucks up to Ian Hendry and uh, it's, so it sort of takes you back to school in a way and mm. those horrible little power games and the little things everybody has to do to survive so there's an element of Lord of the Flies in it as well but with sure. grown ups you know yeah, it it's so it's clever it's great it's yeah it great. sounds a primal film it really is and especially because yeah. Connor is really fit and really you know really sexy in it he's he's he, you know he looks like a real soldier you could tell he's you know you could tell he's had mud in his mouth and spat blood through his teeth and all of that sort of yeah. thing and he's he's the perfect leading man for it he's great yeah good and it's one of, i think it's one of his favorite films um he said that and the man that would, who would be king which oh, okay. with his Philip with his friend Michael Caine but i think he said the hill was he really respected city limit as well yeah as, well as you can tell you can tell yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. If you've not seen it, um, you you must, listeners. If you've Indeed. not seen it, you must track it down. Um, Toby, I completely forgot to ask you what your first film was that you remember seeing at the cinema. What? I normally do it at the beginning, but let's I, let's let's check let's check I'm, things out. I'm a bit, do trying it, so. to recall. I remember because there wasn't a cinema in Ludlow. Um, no, indeed. No, there's the uh, or the, there was. Club. That there was, but it got but it got closed down. So we used yes. to have to go to Bridge North. But I, I have a I have a vague memory of a couple of films one of which i think was the swiss family robinson i just remember hey. a, i just remember a scene where an old man cries oh. uh, at something happy and i remember oh. saying to mum why is he crying because he's happy and that was the first time i realized that people sometimes cried through a positive emotion mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. i and i think I have an image of bits of Herbie Goes Bananas. Mm, um, mm. But but I think my first sort of full... Fi- I, I remember being taken to see Krull, in oh. which there was a lot of hope put yes. for my for my birthday. And oh. I went to and Ghostbusters. But oh, I remember classics. being mocked, mocked at school because, you know, going to the cinema was a, was a birthday treat or a Christmas treat. It wasn't something we did any of the rest of the time. Oh, I'll tell you what, a nice benevolent old lady who had a bit of money, who occasionally was very kind to my mother, took us all to see, she was called Natalie Hodgson, bless her, and she was very kind to us because my dad had left and left us with nothing. She took us all to see E.T. Oh. And I, I sat next to about an 80-year-old woman oh, who, bless, bless her, sat all the way through E.T. with four sort of slightly lost kids. <laughs> bless her. So I think it was, I think E.T. was my formative cinematic experience that's but weird you just say that because be um, not that i've seen you see at the moment but i'm i'm wading through stranger things the second season ah and it's just brilliant i'm a bit, yeah. a bit late to the stranger things party but i'm you know better late than never and it, of course it's chock full of um of 80 early 80s references yeah but when 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 did the 80s when did the 80s become amazing. nost yeah when, amazing. when did the 80s become nostalgia i'm not oh, well that. yes yes god 40 <laughs> years ago <laughs> no it wasn't it was yesterday it was yesterday it seems like yesterday um toby what was the uh, really sort of kind of um yeah what was the film that lit a fire under you that kind of made you or even that doesn't have to be a film so much but what was the sort of the media text or product that got apart from doctor who and quatermass was there it was any particular um tv program or film that really thought God, this is it. This is I'm just in love with this medium for the rest of my life. 
Well, I did. I we watched. I had on video, and there was a rumor that it had been withdrawn from video. So if we didn't keep the copy we we taped off air, it would never be seen again.、Mm. And that was the Blues Brothers,、okay. which was right, this,、yes. which there was this extraordinary thing because I didn't think people swore in films, and they <laughs> certainly didn't swear in films where they sang as well. Indeed, uh, uh, and then had some really funny bits in as well. And then this grotesque、uh, expenditure of money with all of these ludicrous car chases. And、yeah. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Again, my brother, I think, had taped it off. off、mm. it. And it was only when I watched the end credits that oh, it's Dan Aykroyd from Ghostbusters, and suddenly that whole sort of world op- opened up of these sort of very clever American sort of comedy a- actors. And I watched the Blues Brothers over and over and over again. Uh, I haven't seen it for many years, but I I loved that movie, and there was a time when I could have told you every single line in it.、Um, and I think sometimes you know just the familiar, the things that comfort you.、Mm. Um, but I I remember it was more the experience. My my good friend John, with whom I'm still in touch, you know, I would I would go to his house, and he was a bit of a film buff,、uh, and he showed me things like They Live, which、mm. is a film、mm. I did a podcast about recently, and I got really into the John Carpenter stuff because that、sure. was the stuff that was shown late at night. That was you know God proper horror films like The yeah, Fog and forbidden. The Thing. Thing, yes,、uh, and all of those, and but also things like The Untouchables, which is a terrific movie, which、mm-hmm. I still love. But yeah, I, lo- I, I love a lot of the Carpenter stuff, and I was very, very fortunate that because he's a bit of a fan of Quatermass,、uh-huh. I um, I took a punt and I emailed his、uh, production office. Uh, and said, "Would Mr. Carpenter be interested in talking to me about Quatermass for a book that I'm still writing?"、Uh, and I did. I had half an hour with John Carpenter、oh, on the phone,、uh, which is just amazing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you, who, good results, Holmes. Good who, results. Who'd have thought from the wilds of the wilds of Shropshire, I'd have a hotline to John Carpenter thirty years Anything, later? Anything's possible, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Toby Haydock, and it's Haydock, not Haddock, isn't it? It's Haydock. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's Haydock. Just to make that clear, people. So, oh, I've spent. I've had a lifetime of people getting it wrong. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Toby Haydock, thank you so much indeed for spending the time and、uh, in, interrupting your travels through time and space、um, to come by the Emporium. Much appreciated. And so that is the Hill by Sidney Lumet, and it's got Sean Connery amongst a whole crop of amazing British character actors, and it's in 1965. Take care when you're on your on your travels, Toby. And、uh, yes, we may well be、uh, may well be meant to the Emporium once more. Well, thanks for having me in your emporium. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Take care. And that was Toby Haydock,、uh, actor, writer, podcaster, audiobook reader, and general all-round good egg and good anorak. And that was again the Hill by Sidney Lumet with in 1965 with Sean Connery amongst others.、Uh, thank you once again for tuning in to Doctor Kino's Film Emporium. Much appreciated. Thank you for your attention, and we'll see. We'll hear. Hopefully, here we will、uh, hopefully have your company next time. Take care. Enjoy your films. Goodbye.